For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bollier. Okay, does purpose really hold the key to igniting brand growth? A recent study by Kantar Consulting found that brands with a high sense of purpose have seen their brand valuation increase by 175% over the past 12 years, compared to a median growth rate of 86%. But here's the rub. While two-thirds of marketing leaders believe purpose delivers long-term growth, only one-third of them believe purpose is regarded as a movement within their company. Moreover, only one in 10 marketers said their organization has a purpose statement backed by a meaningful activation plan. My guest today is Leslie Pasco, a senior partner within the consulting division of Kantar. She has helped clients like Unilever, IKEA, and P&G develop growth strategies with social purpose at the center. Leslie has long had her finger on the pulse of purpose and joins me today to discuss her job, Kantar's Purpose 2020 research, and the importance of sparking a purpose movement. Leslie, welcome. Thank you. So I'd love to hear more about your job, how it's evolved over the years, and uh, why it's even more relevant today than, say, it was five years ago. Sure. So my role at Kantar is to help clients develop, embed, and activate their purpose in order to align both the internal and external stakeholders behind like an idea that's really clear and compelling of what their brands stand for. And for some clients, that can be starting from scratch. For most clients, that's not the case. It, their, their purpose can just need refreshing, it can need sharpening, it can need elevating. The goal is really to understand where they are today and what their ambition is for tomorrow and to also know where they are on the journey. In terms of how this has evolved, I began in my first purpose-related role in 2006 when I was posted in Europe. And honestly, I wouldn't say that my mission has changed radically between 2006 and 2018. I think it's more the context that has changed. Uh, first of all, I'm not in Europe anymore. And in the US, the idea of purpose really had not taken hold when I moved back in 2012. I mean, there were little pockets of understanding of what that meant, but not something that was broadly understood. American firms have, in my opinion, generally been late to the purpose game and understanding the role that purpose can play in their organizations. And they've had a tendency to see that a brand's core purpose as really just about driving business, or on the other end of the spectrum, just about CSR. I think it's only really been more recently that there's a full understanding of purpose as being part of the core brand proposition. So it seems brands are finally understanding the importance of purpose as a growth driver. Um, what are some of the forces behind like this change? We've been seeing for years this rising tide of what is often called conscious consumerism. Um, it's really happening at the confluence of a number of different factors. The first is obviously the web that's just flattened out all communications and opened the door to true transparency so that bad behaviors are more apparent, so there are more conversations about what brands are and are not doing right. And that's probably the most important factor. But then there's, of course, the other side of the coin, the abdication of the responsibility of governments, both international, national, and to some degree even local, to actually address some of the issues that need addressing and a lack of trust on the part of citizens and consumers in their public rep representatives, which leads them to seek out other options to get things done. There's also the growing power and wealth of private corporations. You know, As governments abdicate and as we see that a lot of our clients and a lot of these brands are very wealthy and have you know, huge stretch 
people look to where the power is and try to find solutions there and to apply pressure where possible. And lastly, there's this new generation of consumers who have a stronger commitment to social impact. Within our organization, we do something called the Monitor Survey, which in 2018 showed that 84% of centennials expect brands to take a strong stand on important social issues. I mentioned at the top that you've worked with several purposeful clients, Unilever and P&G among them. What qualities do these companies share that perhaps others can learn from? So I'm a huge Unilever fan, and I've heard from some of your other podcasts that I'm not the only one. Unilever has done a great job. And I'll talk about Ikea and a little bit about uh, Procter & Gamble. Unilever First, I think, um, is a company that has been led by conviction as opposed to by contingency, which a lot of our leaders just to do whatever happens to work this year or to drive short-term share growth. And historically, William Lever is someone who really believed in treating employees right and in selling products that could have a positive impact on society. The history of Unilever is driven by an interest in hygiene and improving health. And more recently, they had a leader in Paul Pullman who really cared about this stuff. He was way ahead of the curve in recognizing the powerful role that brands can play and must play in society and believed in using the scale of this big organization to drive transformative change. He understood that purpose really needs to be embedded deeply within a company, and he played the long game to ensure that each of his brands had a North Star. When I started uh, working on purpose-related projects in 2006, Unilever was already um, instituting policies to make sure that each one of their brands knew what they stood for, or at least was out there trying to find out. They were trying to figure out what the issues were that their brand needed to connect to, what their consumers cared about, and how they could just go beyond selling functional benefits or even emotional benefits or experiential benefits, because as time went by, each one of those things became the thing. But Unilever was already saying, what's our purpose? And that's really um, what helped them to stand out. If you think of some of their brands, Lifebuoy is a great example of a brand that went from talking about selling soap to talking about helping children to reach the age of five in a lot of developing markets where hygiene has uh, been associated with strong mortality rates. Or Domestos, which is a toilet cleaner, they didn't stop at just cleaning toilets. They stopped at giving people access to latrines and to toilets to improve global hygiene. And then the example everybody knows about is the American example for Dove, um, which was most relevant for this market and has spread beyond. But that was really about recognizing that there was a self-esteem issue that Dove could effectively lean into. So my personal relationship to Unilever started in 2006 uh, when I began doing this work. And what I found fascinating was that they had come to us with a brief that said, we are going to change our supply chain and we are going to make all of our tea under the Lipton brand and the PG Tips brand sustainable throughout the world. They didn't ask us to do research to see whether that was a good idea. They told us that they were doing it no matter what. And then they asked us to help them do it in, in the most effective way that would enable them to really communicate around it and to bring consumers on board. 
So we went through a typical process of trying to understand what the issue and opportunity was from a consumer perspective and came out with an idea that was to really help people to understand that even if they were only buying one tea bag or one box of tea, that that could really make a, a contribution, whereas people were feeling disempowered. So at that time, we talked about the fact that one small cup could make a big difference. And that idea was later translated into the slogan for the Sustainable Living Plan that Unilever has done such a good job of instituting. IKEA is a brand that we started working with in 2008. Um, it's a brand with Scandinavian origins, so if you were to ask the question, what's one of the reasons that they were you know, focused on purpose, I would say there was a, a, a heritage component. Scandinavians are very aware of their impacts, and that was really rooted in the brand's heritage. Um, and in 2013, IKEA really developed a clear purpose, which was to create a better everyday life for the many people. And that mission goes back to the fact that IKEA is a very democratic brand. IKEA was about making sure that they could make their products accessible to the everyman. And they did that by looking at the process of building and selling furniture and taking out the costs and delegating some of the work to the buyer. So that's really part of who they always were. What I think was interesting was that even back in 2008, when they came to us, they asked us to do an audit of their entire 360-degree uh, impact across their supply chain with their employees to look at all of the things that they were doing wrong. And most companies don't want to ask that question. Mm -hmm. They asked it because they knew that if they had those answers, they could more effectively address some of the things before they became problematic. So. We gave them a very broad and comprehensive view of everything from the fact that they were not yet uh, completely um, Forest Stewardship Council approved and certified, and therefore some of their wood was potentially not uh, sustainable, um, to the fact that maybe they were not paying as many taxes as they should be. We, all, we went all the way to governance, and they listened. They took uh, some of the recommendations on board, others perhaps less so, but the result is that you know, they've always been amazing at design. And if you look at the products and the services and the way that they have marketed over the past eight years, you constantly see uh, their efforts to reduce their impacts. They've got these energy-saving cellular blinds that are inspired by honeycomb, that the wax that's found in beehives, that create, create a layer of insulation that can reduce heating costs by up to 20%. They've got these faucets that reduce water consumption, of course, all of their lighting, and they went to LCD way before a lot of the other brands. They even started having veggie Swedish meatballs because <laughs> they started to recognize the impacts of meat um, on the supply chain. So. The company has now committed to using all recyclable and renewable materials in its products by 2030. They continue to be way ahead of the curve, and it's rooted in what they stand for and a strong belief that they can, as a powerful multinational, make a big difference. I'm just curious, when, when you think back, when you began working with Unilever, what is it that Unilever saw that other companies didn't about purpose? I'm not sure what really made them different. But I do believe that at the very beginning,
there was, from the part of leadership, a recognition that there needed to be something beyond quarterly profits and that they are a company that's been around for over a hundred years and if they wanted to stick around, they needed to think about what was going to make their business and their brands enduring. And I believe that they had a stronger recognition of some of the risks to their supply chain uh, that may have been one of the components. I think they recognized that they were struggling to motivate their employees who didn't really understand why they were coming to work in the morning. And they also recognized that their consumers were, they were just starting to see the signals because we were doing some of the research for them that consumers were starting to pay attention. So I think they were just listening more and I believe that they had leadership that was empowering them to take this path. So let's switch gears here and talk about Purpose 2020 which was a major piece of research. It was based on 20,000 consumers, interviews with 100 major brands. So I mentioned a couple of the key findings um, in my lead-in, but what did you find most surprising? So probably the thing that surprised me the most was how little understanding there was in 2018 of what purpose is. I just kind of expected that by now, when we asked this question to marketing leaders, that they would have more clarity on uh, the role of purpose. And there, were, there, there was a much greater recognition of the importance of purpose. And that was surprising in the positive sense. Um, but then when we dug in a little bit to understand what purpose meant, what we discovered was that for a lot of people it was just business as usual. You know, my purpose is to sell more cars. Or at the other end of the spectrum, that purpose was about CSR, right? Something that you just stick in a silo somewhere else and don't have to worry about because it doesn't affect your core business. So that surprised me a bit. You know, there were 76% of the people that we spoke to that said that they believed that their brand and their company had a purpose, but only 10% that stated that they believed that that purpose had any kind of a social or impact component outside of their core product. So that was probably the, the biggest negative surprise. And then I guess, on the more positive side was the willingness to want to move down that road um, and a recognition that they needed to get there. So you've mentioned the different interpretations of purpose, which is not surprising to be quite honest. And we, we hear quite often that CSR is considered purpose by many companies. So when you're dealing with clients, how do you distill purpose down to its true essence? I guess what I try to explain is that purpose is a brand's North Star. It is the thing that should be guiding everything that the brand does and should explain to all of the people that are associated with the brand, either within the organization or with their suppliers and partners or with the ultimate end consumer, why the brand exists, why the brand has a right to exist and the role and the contribution that that brand wants to make in the wider world. So talk a little bit about the challenges of, of really identifying a purpose that is true to your brand. It's not so easy, and yet in some respects you could argue that it's quite straightforward. What makes it challenging is that we try to help clients find a purpose that is both organic and ambitious, and that could be perceived as an oxymoron right? The organic part is nice because 
as you've seen a lot of the conversations that are taking place around Nike and you know whether Nike was right to go out and take a strong stand around uh, you know taking the knee etc you can have a debate about whether that was a good idea or a bad idea but it's always going to come back to what the brand has the cred to say and what is authentic to the brand's history and the brand's beliefs so we always start in this process with going internal and trying to, we do these things called storytelling circles, we do something we call brand therapy. We're, we're trying to get at what's real, what's authentic, what get, gets people coming to work in the morning, where has this business or this brand come from. That is the point of departure that ensures that whatever purpose we come up with is truly organic and authentic for the business and for the, the, the brand. After we do that, then it becomes a bit more challenging because that could be a lot of things, right? Like for Dove, you could argue that that brand was always about naturalness. It was always about having authentic testimonials. It was always about one quarter cleansing cream, right? So you're gonna have like a range of possibilities and then you need to do more work to figure out how can we actually pressure test the different options within the purpose to get us to something that is going to be ambitious and future facing. And that's when we overlay what we call the five lenses. The internal one is the first, but the other four are consumers, culture, competition, and future. So consumers is understanding you know, what they need, what they want, what they believe about the brand, and really getting under their skin to find a deep human insight. The culture one is super interesting because that's about understanding what is going out, going on out in wider society, what sort of tensions are taking place in culture and society that the brand has a right, that has permission to tap into and to try to resolve. And that is a super important one that I think a lot of our clients didn't initially recognize the role that this cultural tension played in getting to a great purpose. The competition one is one that is interesting in terms of a debate because you could argue, who cares what competition is doing? Like when you're coming up with your purpose, it's about what's right for your brand and your business. And I think that's a legitimate argument. I also think that it's useful to know what the other brands in your category or even for some of the big multinational brands in the wider world are talking about and saying. Because if you can find a distinct angle on that, even if you're addressing a similar tension, there's usually a way of addressing that tension that will be unique to your brand that will give it more of an edge and make it feel more exciting and inspiring internally and also when that gets translated in some shape or form externally. And finally, we have a big futures and trends business within Kantar that works on macro trends and understanding where uh, the world is going. And so we like to future-proof because you could come up with a great tension and a great purpose that's not gonna be around in a year because the macro trends are shifting. Maybe not a year, but let's say five years. And so it's important to make sure that we are looking at a purpose that is enduring. So we triangulate all of those different pieces first on our own, in partnership with our clients, to come up with something that really feels right and exciting. Must a brand's purpose have a societal benefit? So it depends what you want to call a societal benefit. And you could argue that in some categories, the societal benefit is inherent, right? If you're in any category that has to do with health or nutrition, necessarily, there would be some societal benefit 
to recognizing the need to either improve health or certainly not to have too much of a negative impact on health. In other categories, if you really define societal quite broadly, you may find that it's not a word that people would necessarily apply to what they're calling a promise or a purpose, but ultimately, it needs to feel like the brand is doing something that is having a positive impact, whether it's psychological or physical, on people. And in that sense, yes, we would argue every brand can find a way to have a meaningful societal impact. So the uh, Purpose 2020 research also revealed three steps to help brands embed purpose within the organization. They include articulation, infusion, and amplification. I'd love to hear a little more about the thinking behind those particular steps. Right, so articulation is the first step. And one of the important things for me as a long-term brandy was to recognize that while our articulation is very important, it should only be 20% of the solution. And that came as a bit of a shock to me as I really better understood what was working, the success factors for the companies that are doing this right. They are spending time figuring out what the purpose is, but they're spending a lot more time embedding and activating against it. And so the first big learning for us was get your brand purpose right, but don't assume that's the end of the journey. That is the very beginning of the journey. And in terms of articulation, that means finding the right words that really summarize what will ring true and what will be compelling for the brand. It also means ensuring that that is going to be um, unique and we discussed before why that was the case. So it could be, you know, for Nike, inspiring the athlete and everybody, or for kind, the kind bar, to be kind to body, to taste buds and to the world. And one of my very favorite purposes is that of Lego, which has been super enduring, which is to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow. Those are just a few words, but they are such powerful words, and they really enabled that brand to do amazing things over the last decade. So articulation comes first. The second step is infusion, and that's about really embedding the purpose into the business so that all of the internal stakeholders will understand it. Once they understand it, they will embrace it. And once they embrace it, they will actually act on it. And by acting on it, it means when they are making decisions every day, they're using the purpose as a filter to determine whether or not they should be doing something. Is this aligned with my purpose? Will this really advance my purpose? That's why the embedding phase is so incredibly important. And then the last piece is really ensuring that they're activating. And that's when you turn back outside the organization and you're looking for ways to ensure that that purpose, not, not necessarily those words, but the ideas that the purpose underpins are really being amplified and expressed out into society. So that goes beyond just using words or telling people what your purpose is. It actually needs to go to actions if you want to amplify, and that's when it's most effective. The classic example of that is REI's decision to close on Black Friday and to really create this idea around opt outside, which was directly connected back to their purpose and their desire to get people outside and really advancing um, stewardship for the environment and also creating greater adventures for people. 
that's when you know you've got it right, when the purpose becomes something that thousands, hundreds of thousands of people pick up on and want to um, participate in. So let's push this a little further. Kantar advocates that once a brand puts a stake in the ground, it needs to have others sustain it and help build momentum and evolve purpose. So talk about the importance, really, of sparking a movement, if you would. So let's come back to Paul Pullman. Paul Pullman liked to say that the real change that can happen in society will come when companies work as part of a broader coalition to transform um, society. And we have to recognize that even the biggest corporations today cannot really affect change on their own. They need to be part of a broader ecosystem if we want to address some of the biggest issues and tensions that are out there, whether it's you know, issues with unethical supply chains or solving problems associated with nutrition or obesity or deforestation or improved wages, one company can't affect that kind of change no matter how powerful they are. So they need partners in their suppliers. They need to even partner with their competitors as we've seen in issues like slave labor to really change the way that business happens. And then they also need to compel and inspire their consumers to climb on board, not just in terms of their uh, choices about what they buy, but also as activists to take up the stand on some of these issues and make sure that the conversations, the cultural conversations are taking place. Mm -hmm. So we've seen shifting attitudes among consumers and companies regarding the environment. How does that impact a brand's purpose in terms of having an ownable story to tell? So the environment is an interesting issue, particularly in the United States. We did a study this past year, actually just a few months ago, where there was a bit of a surprising number. It said that 53% of Americans consider themselves to be environmentalists. And then, of course, it depends on how you want to define environmentalist. Everyone obviously defined it in their own way. But that number suggests that there are a lot of people out there in the United States that consider the environment to be a relevant issue for them in some way, shape, or form. And therefore, we see that attitudes are shifting and that companies are shifting as well, partially because they see their consumers shifting and partially, as I mentioned before, because they need to protect their supply chains, their energy sources. They really need to recognize they play a role. So then the challenge becomes, do we talk about that? How do we talk about it? Can we actually use some of our airtime in our real estate to have a meaningful conversation. And it really depends on what the brand's purpose is, whether or not they believe that environmental issues should sit at the heart of that purpose, or whether that is one of multiple issues that they need to address, but not necessarily use as a purpose, as a focus for, for marketing. And I think what's interesting is to see that even if two brands within the same category decide that they want to pick up on this issue. And let's take the example of climate change, right? Um, and let's take ice cream. So we know Ben & Jerry's has been communicating around climate change forever. And they've done wonderful initiatives where they really get out there. They create new flavors, save our swirl. Um, and they really create a wonderful conversation that engages people. You could argue that that means nobody else in that category should be trying to have that conversation. I find it interesting that at one point, haagen decided that they also wanted to pick up on the issue, but quite differently. They talked about the fact that their vanilla 
or their honey flavor, really needed to make sure that the honey was sustainable honey. And so they started talking about saving the bees, right? That was an angle that was very relevant for their brand, very different from what Ben & Jerry's was talking about, but resonated to their consumers. And therefore, there is space to talk about this stuff, similar issues within a category amongst competitors and still have resonance. So some of these changes that you just discussed, are they being driven by younger consumers, would you say, for, you know, by and large? By and large, yes, but I also think it's interesting to see that some of the, the boomers and the Gen Xs also score pretty high on this stuff. And as a result, you can see a lot of brands that are targeting some of these older and wealthier consumers also recognizing that these are issues that they need to address. Mm -hmm. One interesting phenomenon that you're monitoring is called impact altruism. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so that, that's, um, we have a group of cultural strategists within Kantar that are always picking up on what they call the different energies. I love that terminology. And um, so they've picked up on this idea of impact altruism, which is really the idea of brands that are making it super easy for people to be altruistic. So it's kind of like the seamless of altruism, right? Because people want to do things, but they don't necessarily have the time, they don't think about it. So it is interesting to see brands that are trying to find ways to build altruism into people's lives in a more seamless way. There are a couple of examples that I love that come from the UK. One of them has been around for a while. It's called the Good Gym. And the idea is that you can run with other people to do volunteer work. So people are running to go and fix jungle gyms or bring groceries to people, or I don't know exactly how you run and bring groceries, but you get the point. So they're building it into their um, sporting ritual. Or there's another dating app that's called Good Deed Dating. And the idea is it's kind of like a Tinder for altruistic pursuits. You find somebody that likes to do the same altruistic types of things that you do, and then you can meet them and do them together. Mm -hmm. So it's really kind of an interesting phenomenon. I'd like to see more of it in the U.S. So you've been doing purpose work since the early 2000s, as you were saying earlier. What lessons have you learned? I guess my first lesson is to really help people to understand that purpose is not a fad, that this, it's really the new normal. This is going to stick around. It needs to, and there's a recognition on the part of societies, people, companies, that it will. So when you have somebody like Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, who's saying that if you are not really leaning into purpose and recognizing that as a brand and a company, you need to have a purpose, you will lose your license to operate. So that's probably the biggest lesson is to help brands and businesses really recognize that. The second one is that purpose can't stop at words. It's all about actions. It's about getting every person in your company to make decisions every day on what they're doing and what they're not doing based on a purpose so that it shows up and it feels authentic. And probably the last one is not to believe that purpose is about having to really trade off social impact for business results. Maybe at the margins, sometimes you need to make decisions that don't bring you short-term profits because you're trying to do something that is a little deeper. But ultimately and fundamentally, purpose and business results are fully reconcilable for most businesses if you think smartly and strategically. Do you think it's going to take more people to realize that purpose drives growth before that whole notion of this being a fad fades away? Yeah, I do. I mean, we are a capitalist society and people need to drive growth in their businesses. 
And so it is inherent upon us to make sure that that connection is clear. Terrific. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, but Leslie, I want to thank you, uh, you know, for, for making time to join me today on Beyond Profit Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Until next time, thanks for listening.